Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again, we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God. This morning, we were talking about Exodus, and we were talking about uh, Jordan Peterson, and they're looking at uh, Exodus 19 and 20 again as they start the second half of their Exodus series, which starts with episode 9, which has just become available in March. And it's not available to everybody. You have to join Daily Wire, but I understand eventually they will release it. And it's interesting to listen to, but... uh, they're still missing a great deal of the message that is there. And it's along the same thing that we've been talking about for a long time, where you have multiple stories going on at the same time. That's one of the things, you know, when you see different books written, uh, Pride and Prejudice, for example, you got these daughters, three, four daughters, and... Uh, you're following their story. Some of them are more dramatic than the others, and so we often see the basic three daughters, four daughters, following their lives. And we also get to see the men that come into their lives and see their decisions. And so everybody's a different story, and they're, they've got plot development and character development, and the plot is accentuating the character development, and it makes it for an interesting story. A lot of time today, people have writers just have action-packed stories and they they don't have good characters. They don't know how to develop characters. But where you find that, it's fascinating. And, of course, when we first started Exodus, I was showing you that in Exodus, where Moses is writing things, he would write in a certain way. He would, like, sum up before he tells you the details. And then he would do it again with a different, a little bit different sum up, and then he would tell you more of the details. And so, like, he is telling you the end before he tells you the beginning and the middle. And then also, I just explained this morning, you have to go back to, to this morning's show, and they'll all eventually be on our website, and you can, if you're watching us with podcasts, wherever you're at, uh, you can download all these, end up on podcasts. Almost all of them end up on podcasts at Keys to the Kingdom with Brother Gregory. So you can go back and follow them. And there's always little gems that we're putting in there. And everything is overlapping. This is the way it is when you're looking at a three-dimensional or four-dimensional structure. The parts overlap and connect here. And it's not a 2D drawing. It's at least a 3D Image And since it's the kingdom of God, it's at least a 4D image because you have a spiritual aspect as well as a physical character to the story. So you'll have words that have a physical meaning and an abstract meaning. And you can actually have even deeper meanings. And we explained a little bit of that by touching on the idea of milk and meat this morning. Milk and meat isn't always about the juice from a mammary gland and uh, muscle tissue from an animal. It represents other things. And when talking about love, there's the milk of human kindness, that love of nurturing and caring for and feeding and 
you know, nurturing a child up, that's the milk. But then the meat of the story, that's something else. That's full of muscle and sinew. And these are symbolic of getting into it in more depth. And I just went back. I still have not got to the absolute end of episode 9. But I got in here just minutes ago so that I could do this show. But I listened to a little bit more of their discussion on the Sabbath. And we covered a little bit of that this morning in the beginning of looking at Exodus 21 and a little bit of the review of 19 and 20. But uh, the idea of this Sabbath, like I say, it's not about a day. It's about a way. Now, they just spent another 10, 20 minutes talking about the fact that it's a day. And they said, we're supposed to keep it holy. And actually, if you go to the text, it doesn't say that we're supposed to keep it holy. It says that uh, in verse 11, it says the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Talking about wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day. Using a particular word there, which we see as a barak. Barak can mean blessed, salute. It actually can also mean curse. About 300 times it's translated bless. And only a few times it's translated curse. And that may be, they switched it to curse because of the context. They'd have to look at it and look at the original Hebrew in order to tell you. But the fact is, is the point is that blessed, where they're talking about it, and the Lord blessed the day. It's not us. And it's the Sabbath day, the seventh day, the complete day, the day that ends the week that we count as seven days. And it said, and hollowed it. So it's the Lord that hollowed it. And we can go back to, uh, the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou nor thy sons, nor thy daughters, thy maid manservants, nor thy maidservants, nor the cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in the sixth day God made the earth. doesn't say really anything right here about us keeping it holy. But it says that he hallowed it. And what is the word that they have there that is hallowed? Well, it's the word Kadesh. Which is normally uh, Kuf Delat Shin. That's the normal word that we would see there is Kadesh. And Kadesh is translated sanctify about 108 times. And let's see, hollow uh, about 25 times. And that's one of them right here. Dedicate. Sanctify has to do with dedication or consecrate or even appoint. So the seventh day, you're not supposed to do any work. Now, they say your cattle are not supposed to do any work. I don't know. Now, if you have an oxen, that would have to, that could be doing work. And so you could say, well, we're not going to use the ox today. But in order to use the ox, somebody has to lead the ox and he would be working. So anyway, supposedly you're not, that's important not to do any work because you've taken the time to get your work done in the six days that you need to get done. But most of the time sheep, you know, like all the sheep that we have outside the door right now because we're in the middle of lambing, they're all doing their job. Their job is to take care of their lambs and to graze. And they're all doing that. 
So that's their work. They're still working today. So, and the cattle, we just had a calf born last night, and uh, she's hopefully doing her job, which is taking care of the calf that she had. And so, uh, they're still doing their job. And they're still out there working. And we still have to feed them. We can't just go without feed. Somebody's got to go out there and feed them because we're in the middle of the winter and there's not a lot of grace. So somebody is going to have to do that. And somebody had to do that when they, they didn't stop watching the sheep and protecting them from coyotes. And even Jesus points this out. You know, I once had two calves that were over at a neighbor's place. They had a small area that they wanted to graze off. So I had a, we only had about 11 cows. And so we put our 11 cows in there. And they had dug a big pit to develop a spring. And it was, you know, backhoe deep. You know, it was probably 10, 15 feet deep. And, but it's just a little pond like, you know, it's maybe 12 feet across or something like that. But it's very deep. It, it, if you fall in, you're in there. Very hard for a calf to get out. So we had a couple of 300 pound calves or 200 pound calves fall in to that water and they were drowning I just happened to be driving by and I saw all the cows huddled around this little spot they didn't put any fence around it of course that's in the Bible too we'll get to that <laughs> they, to protect they dug a pit but they didn't put a fence around it and so the calves ended up slipping in slick mud and because uh, it's just straight across ground and water because the ground the water is just spring is just coming up and flowing out. There's no mound around it, no barriers. And so those calves were drowning. They were going to be floating debris in a short period of time. And I saw that, and well, I, I just saw all the cows gathered around, and for some reason I thought, I'm going to grab a rope, and when I jump out of my truck, jump over the fence, run all the way across this field, because they were a long ways away, and because I didn't know anything about the pit. And I got there with the rope, and, okay, I made a lasso on the rope. It wasn't a regular lariat, but a lasso, and I got it around a calf. But it's a 200, 250-pound calf. I can't get it out by myself. <laughs> and it's slick butt around there, and the cows are all around, and everybody's trying to, it's really a pandemonium. And a guy I know, one-legged guy, uh, saw me out there struggling, and he, he just happened to be driving by too. And we had no cell phones in those days. <laughs> so, and he jumped out and hobbled over and everything. And between me and him, we pulled that calf out. Wrote, I roped the other one and we pulled that out. Well, that was probably the Sabbath. I can't guarantee, but it seems to me that that was on the Sabbath. And Jesus even said, who wouldn't do that? I can tell you that was a lot of work. But I have actually seen guys who think they're keeping the Sabbath, a mechanic, and a guy was stranded with his several kids, and it was in the wintertime, sun was going down, it was almost Sabbath, Sabbath starts on the Friday, for those people who really keep track, when the sun goes down on Friday, that's the beginning of the Sabbath. And the guy called the mechanic up and he says, my car broke down, I can't go, I can't get it started. And he got my wife and kids in the car. He had two infant twins and a regular boy about four or five years old. And uh, 
the mechanic only was, you know, 10, 15 minute drive away. And he says, well, I know exactly what the matter is. I can get it started, but I can't come because the sun is going down. So he hung up on the guy. Because he's going to keep the Sabbath. (laughs) I don't think that guy's keeping the Sabbath. I can tell you more about that story. He even gets more in depth. Now, going back to Jordan Peterson and, of course, Dennis uh, Prager and Oz and some of the other guys that are on the uh, uh, forum, they're talking about they take a day of rest. Some do it on Saturday and some do it on Sunday. Because of things that happened long before they were born, they've divided those two days. And some people think, well, you're not keeping it if it isn't Saturday. Of course, the guy who was going to leave the guy stranded on the side of the road with the sun going down and freezing cold temperatures, seizing him and his family. I mean, stranded on the side of the road out here, it could be a long walk to the next house. It isn't like getting stranded on the road, you know, next to McDonald's or, you know, in town or something. You could die before you got to the next house in a cold storm. Easy. So that was horrible what that guy did. Ten minutes away, fifteen tops. He could have been there, got him going again, got him home. Now that—that's just not keeping the Sabbath. That's not keeping it holy. Not keeping anything sacred. That's not even attending to the weightier matters or loving your neighbor as yourself. But again, I say it isn't a day; it's a way. The key to the Sabbath is that you do all the work you need to do to have your rest on the seventh day. Before the seventh day. Now that seventh day has a lot to do with a lot of things. It could be 7,000 years. In order to have that rest at the end of 6,000 years. You need to keep the Sabbath holy. Which the way you keep the Sabbath holy according to this. Is you do your work on the six days. What 90% of the people do today. Is they borrow against tomorrow. They don't do the work today. They borrow money in order to have a day off. That's that's actually what you do. If your nation is in debt, your your nation is not keeping the Sabbath. Because you're not working first and then earning your day of rest. You're borrowing against the future so you can have so you don't have to take care of the needy of today. All the welfare, all the social security. All the Medicare, all the Medicaid, all the benefits that you get from the government, whether you're in Canada, United States, Australia, England, whatever country. All those benefits, they don't come from what people donate or put in. They come from men who borrow money that they haven't earned yet. They borrow against the future, against their children's future, against their neighbor's future. So that you can have free stuff today. That is not keeping the Sabbath holy. That is not consecrating the day to God. Your days are now consecrated to the gods of the world. Monday morning roll around. You're going to have to go to work for the man. For the gods of the world. And that's why there's a new world order coming. That's why the great reset has traction. Because you've all become accustomed to eating at the expense of others. And depending for your livelihood on the property of others. And now tyranny rises up and you can't figure out why. 
Well, it's because you haven't repented. You're not doing what the Ten Commandments say. But, what they were talking about is having a day of rest. I think a day of rest is great. They're having a day that they personally dedicate to the family. Well, both the guy who uses Sunday, which is Oz, who was talking about it, and and uh, Dennis Prager, he does Sabbath. But he tries to dedicate that time. He doesn't go to the ball game. He doesn't do this. doesn't do that. He stays home with his family. And they all spend time together. That's a good thing. But that isn't the whole thing. And it isn't keeping the Sabbath holy. And if you turn your blind eye to the debt question, we know that is not encouraged in the Bible. But what, ten, what of the Ten Commandments has to do with debt? Well, for one thing, when you've created a common purse where the government goes to the Federal Reserve, borrows money, and you are now liable as a member of that social welfare system, we explain this on articles Social Security. Go preparing you and read the article on Social Security. We show you, show you the law. We show you how it correlates to what the Bible says, what Moses was doing, and how it will deliver you into the bondage of Egypt. We explain it in great detail. Have hundreds of links, dozens of footnotes, so you can look it up yourself. We show you how it works. But the way to get out of it is to repent and seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And it isn't righteous to borrow against the future of your children and your neighbor's children so that you can have free stuff today. It isn't righteous to make everybody else, including your neighbor, pay for your student loans. A lot of people see that. Of course, the guys who want their student loans paid off, they don't see it. They say, well, the government should just forgive my student loan. It doesn't forgive your loan. It puts it on everybody else. Because it borrowed money to loan you money. All this is contrary to the teachings of Moses. And we'll see that as we go through the story more and more and more. So anyway, let's go to 20. Verse 11. Blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Well, like I said, the normal word there, Kadesh, is Kuf Delat Shin. But that's not the word we actually see in the text. We see Vav Yad Kuf Delat Shin, hey, vav, which is quite a bit different. That There's quite a few letters added into there. And why is that important? Because they're telling you, and this is commonly, the vav at the beginning, that may add the word an, the Sabbath and consecrated it, which could be the vav at the end. But there's still the yod and the hey added to it which has to do with that divine spark and the hay being emphasis. So, it's God who consecrates this Shabbat or Sabbath. If you want to keep it holy and separate and consecrated so that you it's time that you get together with your family, great. But, it's not, if you're in debt, if you're back in the bondage of Egypt, because that's what the bondage of Egypt was, it was debt. Because they had to take the free food of Pharaoh, they made a deal that now a portion of their labor was going to belong to Pharaoh. Only one-fifth, but it was still a portion of their labor. 
portion of their work today. And like I've told this story many times, I asked my father who he worked for. My father was a lawyer. I was seven years old at the time. I said, who do you work for? And he says, until July 1st, I work for the government. Now, he's explaining that to a seven-year-old. I had no idea what he was saying. (laughs) It would be years before I would figure out what he meant. He said, and then after, you know, uh, you know, at July 1st, which is halfway through the year, then I work for myself. And it was because he was in a 50% income tax bracket. If any portion of your labor belongs to the government, 10%, 20%, where you don't have any choice about giving it to the government, you're back in the bondage of Egypt. Now, I'm not saying you're evil because of that. I'm not saying that's even evil. I'm just saying that's where you're at. Don't tell me you're free if you don't own your labor. And if you're in a system where they can say you don't own just one one fifth, you own two fifths or three fifths. They can literally say you owe it all. And that is where the debt is leading you. You know, the Democrats are raising the debt ceiling all the time. The Republicans are doing it too. Uh, You know, like they say that they're going to raise the debt ceiling to the destroy America. If you elect a Democrat, this will be real quick. But if you elect a Republican, it will take a little bit longer. Because they're both doing it. You're doing it. You're going to men who exercise authority one over the other to get benefits at the expense of your neighbor and your neighbor's children. And because of that covetous practice, which it was, it's just amazing. Jordan Peterson and all those guys just went through the Ten Commandments. And they're, they're spending a half an hour or more on the Sabbath. They don't get that the Sabbath is about debt. Because Dennis Prager is just saying it's about taking a day off. No, it's it's more than taking a day off. It's about earning that day off. So that day is separate. doesn't belong to the government. It belongs to you and the family. Actually, it does belong to the government. But you're the government if you're in the kingdom of God. You're the government of the people for the people and by the people. Which is what it says. That's what it says in the Wycliffe Bible. What the book was for. It's for the government of the people. For the people and by the people. And of all Americans. And all Canadians. And all Mexicans. Were taking care of the needy of their society. Through faith, hope and charity. Instead of the legal charity of the state. They might be free people today. Same for Australia. Same for New Zealand. But they're not. So anyway, we started in chapter 21 and started going through that already. And we did that this morning, so we'll finish up with this. But we just did a little bit of review because I I saw a little bit more of this Sabbath thing. Really important to get that. Really important to get taking the Lord's name in vain. Saying you believe in God but not doing what he says to do. And if you're coveting your neighbor's goods, you're not doing what he says to do. If you're cursing your children with debt because of your covetous practices, making yourself merchandise, human resources, because of your covetous practices, well, then you're not really a Christian, are you? If you're going to men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority, you're not really a Christian. You're not really a Jew. Because Dennis Prager himself said, if you keep the commandments... 
then you are his people. If you don't keep his commandments, you're not his people. And like we also said just in the chapter before, where we're led to believe that if people don't abide by certain things, we're supposed to kill them. That's in chapter 21. So he said the first part of this is the law about slaves. Well, if you're back in the bondage of Egypt, you're one of these slaves. Because that's what the the slaves in Egypt were not real slaves. They were part of a corvée system of statutory bondage where a portion of their labor belonged to the government. They could be brick layers. They could be brick makers. They could be stone carvers. If they had a talent for that, they could probably get a job doing that. But the point is, uh, 20% of their labor belonged to the government. So they were all slaves. Now, they're set free from Egypt. But in any society of 100,000 or, you know, most city-states were maybe eight or 10,000 people. They weren't, weren't a lot of people in a city-state. Rome got away with having, you know, near 100,000 at one time. And maybe some people say, you know, metropolitan Rome got to be almost a million people. The only reason they could do that is they invented sewage systems. <laughs> if you don't invent sewage systems, you're not, you're going to be not well off with a hundred thousand people living in the same place. <laughs> but, uh, uh, there were other cities that they're excavating that were built like possibly nine thousand years ago, according to what they're telling us from the archaeologists. They haven't really uncovered any writing that I know of. But I wrote about it in our page on Sumer, which will probably become another page. I wrote about it. It's called uh, Katalhawuk, and it's in Anatolia, and uh, I think that's in Turkey. And it was built around 7,400 B.C. But it's almost like it's underground. All the walls, it wasn't underground originally, but all the walls are back-to-back. There are no streets. There are no pathways between the houses. They're just... I mean, it's worse than San Francisco. They're just crammed in one more after another. But you entered the house through an opening in the roof. So I have no idea where all the waste went. You know, uh, you're bringing in food, you're taking it. But for some reason, whenever they either abandon it because of disease or because of climate change or something. But it wasn't continuously. But it's one of the oldest. And there's some remarkable carvings there in stone. And it's difficult to say what their culture was like. Or why they built that particular kind of city-state. But during that period, there were lots of city-states that would form. Where people would gather in larger and larger numbers. And there became this science of how to create a city-state. Of course, the first city-state was the city-state of Cain. We don't hear... Seth creating a city-state. We, In fact, we see Terah leaving Ur, creating the city-state of Haran, but Abraham even leaving that. And what he did was set up altars. He didn't create a city-state. He set up altars. So what is he doing when he's setting up these altars? And we touched on that. And of course, in 20, it talks about building altars of clay, and altars of stone. I have not heard Jordan Peterson, Dennis Prager, Oz, Black, Blackwood, any of these guys 
even show the slightest bit of comprehension of what these altars were actually doing. It's just astounding. I know what I was taught when I was a kid, going to the seminary and attending St. Joseph College. They didn't know either. I asked the question over and over again. What were they doing in the temples? What, what, what are these altars all about? And the answers were unsatisfactory. But now we've written several books. We, uh, lots of pamphlets all available for free online where you can, you can see through sophistry the altars of clay were a gathering of men. The altars of stone were a gathering of men. But they were institutions. One was a free association. The other was a group of men who had come together to form what could only be called a religious order, knowing that religion was how you took care of the needy of your society. Those altars of stone from the beginning were men to take care of the needy of society. And that's why when they're talking about that they go through the slave, we did that already this morning, and bearing false witness and indenture of a daughter and how she is protected. Now you have to remember, everybody in America today, your daughters are all indentured. 20% of their labor doesn't belong to them. It belongs to the government. 30%, 40%, at least 14 right off the top. And it can be as much as 50% of the labor, depending on how much they make. And it can, and the government has the power to raise that, and raise that, and raise that. Your daughters are already human resources. And of course, we were told, if you decide to have a king, a president, or a prime minister, and give him executorial authority, and we were also told, if you engage in covetous practices, desiring benefits at the expense of your neighbor, by these men with executorial Authority who could exercise authority one over the other and force the contributions of your neighbor to provide you with these benefits because you judge that's okay. That's okay for your neighbor to do the same with you and it will make you a human resource and bring you back into the bondage of Egypt, which is where you're at. So your daughters are indentured. Your sons are indentured. Their labor is not theirs. And there doesn't seem to be any time limit. It's not like in seven years they're going to release you. They're not going to do that. And you seem to like it. At least you like all the benefits. So virtually your ears are pierced through. I always think it's funny seeing guys who pierce their ears and wear an earring. Of course, I guess some of that's supposed to be they're gay or something. But the reality is that's what you did to recognize somebody as a slave. (laughs) But uh, they don't seem to get that. So... We're starting to get into the cost of injury. And uh, you smite at the man and he die. You you can be held responsible and it says put to death. And in these 12, 13, and 14, we see this idea someone may have to be put to death because they've caused the death of another. But in 14 specifically, thou shalt take him from mine altar that he may die. Taking him from the altar means no more social welfare. We're not going to pay off his student loan. We're not going to provide welfare for him if he loses his job. If he gets sick, he doesn't get any Medicare. He doesn't get any Medicaid. Of course, everybody else isn't going to get that either. But the altars provided to the needy, when you gave those sheep 
to the altar. You know, when you gave those different commodity monies to the altar the, as your sacrifice, they didn't just burn them up. They cut them up. And they divided them for the poor. And we explained all that. That The whole idea of uh, sacrificing a goat or sacrificing a lamb or or, you know, the firstborn, you were supposed to dedicate that to the temple. Well, you didn't have to kill your donkey and burn it up. You could give him a lamb. Why wouldn't they burn up the donkey? Well, because you can't eat the donkey because it doesn't have the cloven hoof. So, But you can eat the lamb, and that's why they want the lamb, because that's how they feed the poor and the needy of society. And they had a lot of that. They had a lot of widows and orphans. They had a lot of families that broke down. They had a lot of people that were having trouble making ends meet. And the temple was there to help them do that. That's what the, that's what the Levites, they serve the tents of the congregation. Nobody seems to get that. We know all these Teutons and uh, Celts and all these cultures had systems of social welfare managed by the priests of their society to take care of the needy of their society when families were unable to do it directly. And the reason they organized in this way was it bound the society together. You wanted to be in good standing with the altars. You weren't in a city-state. City-state, you can get welfare. Free bread, like Rome. Rome was a city-state. They had free bread. They had feasts. You could get, you could get free cheese. You could get free milk. You could get free, free uh, grain. You could get free loaves of bread already cooked. You could get all, wine. Even they even gave out free wine at special festivals and stuff like that. But that free bread of Rome was stuff sacrificed to idols. Why do they say idols? Because they were institutions that forced the contributions of the people. They they didn't start out forcing Romans. They wouldn't get away with that if we're going to put this tax on the Romans. They wouldn't have got away with it in the United States. But, you know, when they started Social Security, it was like 1.5%. It was, oh, well, we can pay 1.5%. No big deal. It was a very prosperous time. We get, well, sort of. I mean, we're going into the Depression but if you weren't making any money, 1.5% wasn't much. Nobody was paying income tax yet because you had to make $10,000 to pay income tax. $10,000, you could buy three homes. So nobody noticed. Nobody realized that I'm signing up for income tax. I'm signing up for the bondage of Egypt. Same thing going on in Canada. We did a whole show on how this was going on in Australia even before it was going on in the United States. It's in the back shows. We can't do every show every time. I repeat stuff, but it's overlapping, showing you how all this fits together. But, again, Moses felt bad about killing the Egyptian who was oppressing his people. Is he now setting up a system where we all get to kill anybody we want that we think is doing bad? No. No. And then we're supposed to believe that he's even killing them with this macabre ritual of stoning, which we'll get into later. No, that's not what it means. Any more than leaven is about yeast. Any more than milk and meat is about 
memory juice and muscle tissue. It's not. Any more than the Sabbath is about a day. It's it's not. Any more than sewing the breeches of your ministers is anything about his underwear. It's not. Doesn't have anything to do with his underwear. Any more than going up by steps has anything to do with going up steep steps. And when, when Moses is writing this stuff, they're living out in the desert. There are no steps. He's not talking about going up a stairs and then you looking under his garment and seeing that he's naked. He's talking about a hierarchy of authority over men. Men higher than other men. And like I said this morning, I've said many times that Jesus said, there is a hierarchy in the kingdom of God. But he is greatest amongst you, is servant. He's not climbing up steps, getting himself over you. He doesn't want to rule over you. Like Gideon, I and my family will not rule over you. Moses would not rule over you. Jesus would not rule over you. The devil tempted him to. But he was. He said he wasn't going to do it. But all you people out there who say you're Christians, or say you're Jews, or say you're Muslims, you're very happy to rule over your neighbor through men who exercise authority. You're very happy to take a bite out of your neighbor. If you can get free stuff, this is why you're going, you are back into bondage. This is why the New World Order is going to stomp on the back of your neck. What is it? The, a boot forever on the <laughs> neck of the people. That's what they want. Now, it's not going to work. And everybody's going to be free someday. But not everybody's going to survive freedom. Many will die. Before those that are left get the message. And many of them will probably forget again. But anyway, verse 15 in 21. And he that smiteth his father or his mother shall be surely put to death. Again, is that actually put to death? I mean, there's no word put there. The word surely, it's the same as what we saw up here with uh, Wamat. Moat and Yamat. All the same word, but spelled different ways. Surely and death, basically said to be the same word, but spelled slightly different. But what they're really saying is treated as they are dead. They are dead to the altars. Which is what stoning really is all about. It's, it's telling the stones of the altar, don't give to these guys anymore. This guy hits his dad and his mom. He abuses his parents. He doesn't accept the authority of his parents. So cut him off from the altars. That's what it said in 14. Remove him from mine altar. That he, and that means altars of clay and altars of stone. It's a shunning. It's a form of shunning. It's not killing. You're not going to be killing all these people. You don't have to kill them. You just, they're dead to you. That we're not going to help you. You're as if dead. I can't hear you. You're dead. <laughs> and uh, 16. And he that stealeth a man and selleth him, or if he be found in his hand, and he shall surely be put to death. All those slavers who went over there and bought slaves stolen by blacks, Black men 
stolen by blacks from lesser tribes, and sold to men who now know they were stolen, and now they have them in their possession, found in their hands, we should have cut them off and not bought the slaves from them. And anybody who bought the slaves from them, theoretically, by this statement, should be cut off from the social welfare system of society. And we know that all those selfish people that were engaged in that, they're not going to help each other out. It's only the good people would help each other out. Now, I've told you about a group of monks in France who would go to the slave markets and buy slaves. And they would take them back to the monastery. Most of these slaves are foreign slaves. Squanto was one of these slaves. He was bought by one of these monks. And he was taken to the monastery. And they put him to work. But they also spent time every day teaching him English. Or, I guess, French. They were teaching him French, I guess, and English, because he ended up learning English, too. He was multilingual. He was very good at languages, evidently. But they also taught him about the ways. They taught him about the Bible. They taught him all these things, and they fed him, and they treated him well. They didn't beat him or anything like that. And then, finally, after he was there for a period of time and became proficient in languages and skills, uh, they gave him a sum of money and gave him back his freedom. So they were buying slaves, but it was the purpose was to set men free and to make men fruitful and beneficial. Squanto never forgot that, how well he was treated by these guys, because he wasn't always well treated. But when he got to America, he wasn't always well treated by other Indians either. <laughs> so another long story. Those slavers who were buying men stolen Black men, stolen by black men and sold usually to Muslims who had then sold them to British shippers who then sold them mostly in South America but some were sold in America. That was, we should not have gone along with that. But still, when some people come, there's kind of a torn situation. I can't make a law out. And hold people to some sort of written statute. Because these really aren't statutes. And we'll get into that hopefully before we get to the end of all this. These aren't really statutes like we think of statutes today. These are actually precedent. What Moses is doing is telling you precedents of how to decide certain cases. Showing you You know, this guy laid in wait, he plotted to kill somebody. That's more serious than than accidental death. Uh, That You know, that you got into a fight and an argument and you hit a guy and he fell back and he banged his head on the table and he died. Well, you were fighting him, but you didn't mean to kill him. But you killed him. He's dead. So you have a responsibility, but it's not like you laid in wait. Maybe he attacked you and you defended him yourself. Well, we can go back up to that earlier deal where somebody is trying to rob you of something and he and he gets killed in the process. You're you're not held responsible. So if a guy attacked you and you defended yourself and he dies, When he attacked you, he was trying to steal your life or something. It's all too common. You can't write 
every possible scenario. That's why this is written in the way it is, so that we're dealing in generalizations. Who's going to decide the truth of each of these cases is going to be the elders in each family who gather together in congregations of ten and with, you know, a minister and with his minister, that's twelve. Those twelve will sit and decide what the law is and how we should apply it. And hopefully they'll decide rightly. But you have to remember, these are men who have a society entirely based on charity. In other words, entirely based on love. You don't see the word charity anywhere in the Old Testament. They call it free will offerings. So those free will offerings are taking care of all the needy of society. And these are the ones who are going to be deciding your fate. It's not going to be like 12 angry men. 12 angry men wasn't too bad, but it was one guy who made the difference and supposedly delivered justice. And the guy got off. They acquitted the guy, even though everybody thought he was going to be guilty and found guilty. One guy questioned it. But in Israel, it wasn't 12 angry men. It was 12 charitable men. 12 men who sacrificed daily for one another. And they have to decide what is fact and law. And Moses is giving them the guidelines of how to decide what is fact and law. And there's going to be slavery. There's going to be servitude. Somebody's down on their luck and they want to go work for somebody. You're going to hire them. You could hire them day labor. Yeah. But you may not need day laborers every day. If you hire him for the whole year or for seven years, you've got to provide him with shelter. You've got to provide him with food. You have to provide him with raiment. That's what we saw there in verse 10. The the has to provide these things of food and raiment and, and all the duties that you have to your wife, you have to provide for, even if you decide to divorce her. If you're unsatisfied with it and you want to take a different wife, you can't just dump her. You can't sell her to somebody else. You have to take care of her forever. And you know that going in because Moses wrote it down. It's like when Moses gave you divorce. He was very careful in saying, you know, that he was going to give you divorce. But if you divorce, now you're still responsible for that woman if you divorce her. She could go back to her family and her family could take her back in. But if her family wasn't there, you can't just dump her. you got to take care of her forever. But if you divorce and she goes away, either goes free or goes back to her family according to the way she wants to do it, you can't remarry. Like, uh, who was it? Elizabeth Taylor <laughs> and her husband Richard, whatever his name was. <laughs> uh, they were divorcing and getting married and divorcing. You can't remarry them. Moses said that. And he even says, because God hates sin. So he's not saying that divorce is okay. He's still saying it's sin. It's missing the mark. It's not doing it right. But sometimes 
it's better off that you divorce and separate than stay together and cut each other's throat in the middle of the night. So, uh, and, and, and Jesus tells us this, is that he gave you the divorce because of the hardness of your heart, not because it was meant to be that way. He even told you it was still sin, still wrong, because you need to learn to forgive one another. You take on something till death do you part. You take on something till death do you part. Now, I, I know that sometimes things happen and you have to make choices that are hard. But you need to really understand everything that's going on. Same, that's why we're going to this, so you get a better understanding of all these things. So then, I have a section there. After verse 11, we get to verse 12. It says, cause of injury, injuring another. And of course, we've gone through that from 12 to 14. And again, he may die, but it's by separating him from the altars. It's not by killing him, by murdering him. Because that's not that vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. And one of the key reasons that people can't read this and get this, and I know Dennis Prager doesn't get it, and, and I'm saying this just as much for Dennis Prager as for anybody else. I want him to get it. I I want all those guys to get it. Is that, and 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 it goes back to something I've told many times: the judicial system, even the system of juries, it's not to punish the wicked. the The evil that they do will punish them one way or another. Cutting them off from the altar that may seem like punishment, but that's not overt punishment. It's not about vengeance on the wicked. And we'll get more, we'll come back to this over and over again so you can see how this fits. Your court should not be trying to administer justice by punishing the criminal, but by protecting the innocent. That's the purpose of the courts. And if you would understand that, you wouldn't be spending billions and billions of dollars a year with a prison system. You wouldn't even need a prison system. A prison system is unproductive. I'm not saying you wouldn't have a few prisons, you wouldn't have a few jails, but you wouldn't need that. What what you need is to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness and leave vengeance to God. And if you had that mindset, you it'd be easier to understand the statutes of Moses. Because he was setting the people free. He wasn't creating another system of oppression. And so anyway, we went through 15. And he smited the father, surely put to death. But again, this is cutting off from the altars. And he that stealeth the man, surely put to death. But really, that is cutting them off from the altars again. And he that curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. So this idea of cursing your father and your mother. What is that all about? How You're not hitting them. You're cursing them. So there's a word there that we're going to see that is translated curse. So what is that? Do you know what that is? Do you, do you have any idea? He who curses his father or his mother surely shall be put to death. So we have a word there, curseth. And, of course, it actually has a double Lamad in it. And remember, wherever you see a double letter, there's usually a double meaning. 
that's why it is. But this word naturally has a double lamad in it. It's kuf lamad lamad. And it's to be slight, swift, or trifling. Cursing, to slight your parents, to be trifling with your parents. And again, what's the word? Kuf lamad lamad. But the word we actually see is vav mem kuf lamad lamad. So, what does that mean? And where else do we see that same word in the biblical text? We we find it only one other place, which is in Samuel 16.5. And that's where it says he came forth and cursed still as he came. So, that, again, Second Samuel 16.5. The red word we find all over the place. But uh, this particular word with the Bob Mem is really almost virtually only found in this Exodus 21.17. So it behooves us to find out what that is. To curse them doesn't mean to swear at them because the original origin of the word doesn't mean to swear at them. It, it means to be slight or trifling you know, where you don't really, you aren't really, you, you're doing Less for your parents than you should. You're ignoring your parents. So, where do we see that in the New Testament? Jesus says that the Corbin of the Pharisees is making the word of God to none effect because the people are doing no more ought for their parents, which is slighting their parents. They're not doing as much for their parents as they should be. That's what they mean by curse. They're, they're bringing a curse on their parents. The only place the parents can get ha- help is to go to the government. The government who exercises authority one over the other. And ask the government, will you give me social welfare benefits at the expense of my neighbor and make me a covetous person? Now, I'm not saying anything about paying into Social Security. You, if you owe the money, you pay the money. Same thing Jesus said. But you need to be gathering together to create an alternative to Social Security. Caring about one another as much as you care about yourself. And not slighting your parents. Not doing what Jesus says was making the Word of God to none effect by doing less for your parents than you should be doing for your parents. So, anyway, that's giving us a little bit better picture of what it means because it says there that if you curse them put to death too surely be put to death too again it's those two words that they turned into shall surely be put to death and does it really mean that or does it mean cut off from his altars so that these they're not going to get any more help you're going to be cast out you're going to be shunned out of the system now you can go join up in Sodom. They have a system. Join up with their system. You can go back to Egypt individually and join up with that system. Or you can go to almost any of the city-states and join up with those systems. But if you're in God's system, you're operating by faith, hope, and charity, not force, fear, and fealty. Your ministers don't go up by steps because they do not exercise authority one over the other. Your ministers are servants. 
They operate by charity. They operate by love. They operate according to the way of Jesus Christ. You get the picture? I don't know. I'm coming around it from every angle. We're spray painting the elephant in the room. So, 18. Injury from a fight. And if a man strive together and one smite another with a stone or with his fist and he die not but keepeth his bed if he rises again and walks abroad upon his staff then shall he that smote him be quit. In other words, he won't have to pay the price of being cast out of the altars of God. He can still be a part of the system of God, which is a system of faith, hope, and charity, of free will offerings, of love. But only he shall pay for the loss of his time and shall cause him to be thoroughly healed. So if you break his arm and he can't work, you you may owe him a month's pay before he gets back into shape again. You got to take care of his family. You, you got financial responsibility. Bring, I could give you hundreds of stories, but I always tell the story of a guy who stole a purse with a couple hundred bucks in it. And he never, never stole anything before. He was really a terrible thief. He saw it sitting there in an auditorium and the lady wasn't around watching. He was desperate for money. He had been going hungry. He was about to be evicted. Because uh, his roommate left and now he couldn't meet the rent and he was going to have to drop out of college. And he just seemed, in a moment of weakness, he grabbed the purse and went out. Other people saw him do it. He wasn't very good at it. He drew all kinds of attention to himself because he's not really a thief. But he did steal. He took the money and he immediately paid all the money that he owed and he threw the purse away. And the cops came to his door and said, did you take that purse the other day? Because somebody saw him and turned him in. And first thing he said, yeah, I did. And he admitted immediately that he did. He went to jail for two years. The woman didn't get her 600 bucks back. The woman didn't get her purse back. The woman didn't get paid the inconvenience of having her money and her purse stolen. Because Moses is going to get into that. This is not a godly system that puts a man into jail for 200 for two years for stealing $600. Because what the the system just did, it billed all the taxpayers thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 for those two years in jail. Plus years on probation. The guy didn't finish college. He had to go try to find a job with a record. Ruined his life, or at least for a while. Now, that's somewhat his responsibility, and you can say he deserved it, but vengeance isn't yours. You didn't do any recompense to the innocent party who was robbed. You know, you could say, well, she was stupid for leaving her purse there, but she was still robbed. You didn't do anything for her. You didn't get her $600 back. This day and age, it would have been nothing to tell the guy, we know who you are, we know where you live, you need to drop out of college for a semester, get a job, pay this woman back. You need to pay for a new purse. And then you save up your money and try to go to college again. That's what you needed to do. Truth is, 
the way the common law used to be in this country. The sheriff who would find this guy reported to the sheriff that somebody saw him steal it. The sheriff would go to his house. The sheriff would say, did you do this? And he said, yeah, I did it. I did it. I'm sorry I did it. I shouldn't have done it. I, I don't know what I was thinking. The sheriff could say, look, if you promise me and this woman that you robbed, that you'll pay her back the $600, plus you'll give her enough money to buy two purses, because the ID was gone, she's going to have to get a new ID, that's going to cost her money. I mean, actually Moses would say, you you owe her 1200 bucks. you got to pay her 1200 bucks back. But maybe she would say, oh, no, I don't want 1200 bucks. If I get my 600 bucks back, maybe a new purse and a couple of bucks for getting, you know, I've got to go get a new driver's license, all that stuff's going to cost me. And it's an inconvenience, but he's he's confessing right away. He's willing to, you know, make amends. I, I will settle for that. And they could end up being good friends. She might even find a job for him. Who knows? I've seen that, where somebody's actually done that. If somebody was well, I, I also told you stories about a guy who was caught stealing from the state, and the this the officer who came there, I think it was a state trooper, not a sheriff, but anyway, he came there because he he robbed from the state. Yeah, it was probably a state trooper, and uh, the state trooper told him, if you fess up. To have stolen the stuff and done this damage to the equipment, you can call this number and make arrangements for paying them because they had to hire somebody to fix the equipment and he stole the, the stuff that he stole and he pays them back and they're satisfied. I won't arrest you. But if you keep telling me you didn't do it, I'm going to arrest you. The state trooper said that right there to his face. That's the way we'd still do it out here. Well, the guy chose the wrong way. <laughs> Getting arrested and convicted. By funny story when you hear all the details. But anyway, uh, and, and it's coming around to bite that guy still to this day because uh, he didn't fess up. The other guy fessed up. He got two years in jail. First time offense. He shouldn't have gone to jail at all. Why did they put him in jail? That just cost the taxpayers. Tens of thousands of dollars. It's crazy. Insane. Not Christian. Not even Jewish. According to Moses. So we have to change the way we think. And of course that's what repentance is. Start understanding what and how you provide justice. And you'll need to know all this if you ever get back to the point where you are the state where each individual comes together and voluntarily fulfills the roles of the state, where your conversation, we'll get into that, we have in the past, we'll get into it, because this is what the early Christians were doing. They didn't go to the courts of Rome. They didn't go to the courts of Greece that they had to dispute. They sat down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and settled these disputes amongst them. If they couldn't settle the disputes amongst them, they knew what we do, if you had two Christians living in the same Christian community and they were having a dispute and everybody decided you need to pay him back for that cow. That's your fault that cow died. And you owe him a cow. We all agree. 
And he says, I don't care. I don't want to give it back to him. I'm not going to pay him back for it. Because I'm just going to be stubborn. Well, you have to put him to death, right? No. You cut him off from the altars of Christianity. When the famines came through, the dearths came through, he wasn't going to get any help. He would be counted as a foolish virgin. The doors would be locked. He's not getting in. Jesus has parables about this. We're not going to help you. You had a chance to work it out with us in faith, hope, and charity, and you chose not to. You wouldn't sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. You wouldn't sacrifice for one another. Now when the chips are down, you expect us to let you in. You know, the boat, Noah's boat was sealed up. You couldn't get in once it was sealed up. You might hang on the outside. There are stories about that. <laughs> I don't know if they're true or not. Somebody was hanging on the outside for a long time and they eventually let him in. <laughs> but uh, that may be made up. But uh, I wouldn't count on that. <laughs> it's a long time to be hanging on the outside of Noah's Ark. But uh, anyway, so understand there are principles here. If you want vengeance... If you don't want to indulge in forgiveness, if you don't want to sacrifice for one another, expect to be cut off. Expect not to be accepted to the wedding feast. You understand how that works? So, anyway, we got the guy paid off because uh, until he was healed. Okay, abuse of a servant. It's 2021. And if a man smite his servant or his maid with a rod and he die under his hand, he shall be surely punished. You can't beat a servant. You, you can't, certainly can't beat him to death. You'll, you'll be punished for that. Notwithstanding, if he continues a day or two, he shall not be punished for he is his money. His property is what they're saying. That's verse 21. His property. Yeah, it's actually a word, uh, kespau, uh, which is kuf, somek, pay, vav. And uh, the word normally does mean silver or money. Uh, it can also be a shekel or a talent. It is the word for silver, often, uh, often translated silver. And it is translated silver 287 times, money 112 times, price three times. But you know what that could mean is, yeah, the same exact spelling also is the word desire or long or greedy. Now, a lot of people say, oh, we shouldn't own another person. You have to remember, everybody telling you that today is owned. They are merchandise. And they are already merchandised because they have been engaged in covetous practices. And that's what Peter said. Through your covetous practices, you will be made merchandise. You will become the property of somebody. So who are you the property of? You're the property of the United States. You're a surety for the debt of the United States. So who does the United States owe most of its money to? Well, it owes it to the Federal Reserve, but then the Federal Reserve, you know, for the last decades or numerous decades now, people have been buying up treasury bonds, and a lot of them were bought up by China. 
So who owns you, baby? Does China own you now? If China owns you, they can invade this country. If they own you, they can come here and they have a right to their property. According to Moses, according to natural law. So, what you want to be is the property of God. And if you can't be the property of God, then you need to be the property of somebody who is the property of God. Somebody like Moses. You can see all the Israelites, they weren't set free from Egypt. They were kicked out of Egypt. They belonged to Moses. But Moses was happy to set them free and take his time to show them how to be free. Those people who got the baptism of Jesus Christ belonged to Jesus Christ. They were the property of Jesus Christ. But he came to set men free. Now, if you want to be free, you have to come together for the purposes of setting other men free. Anybody can come together to be free. But how many men are willing to come together to set other men free? You see? This is the trick. This is, you know, I don't know if we call it the trick, but this is the way that you have to sacrifice, lay down your life so that others may be free, so that you can be free. That's the way it works. And <laughs> that's my story and I'm sticking to it. So now in verse 22, injury to a fetus and its family. If men strive and hurt a woman with child, so that her fruit depart from her, and yet no mischief follow, he shall be surely punished, according as the woman's husband will lay upon him, and he shall pay as the judges determine. So, there's an interesting, the husband can, I mean, the husband's lost. You, 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 everybody think, oh, the property, oh, we don't want people being property. Children are the property of their parents. If they're not the property of their parents, then there could be trouble. Somebody else could come and claim them. Somebody else could hurt them and who take it back to that guy who stole the purse. At common law, you have to go to the woman whose purse was stolen. She was the one who was injured. She is the injured party. And say, do you want to press charges? They used to do that all the time in the TV shows. So it's not that long ago that people still understood that. You don't hear that anymore. They don't care whether you press charges. The state is going to press charges. Because you robbed from one of the state's children. <laughs> you see so, in the old days, you would go to the person who was injured, and if you killed somebody, you would go to their family and you'd say, uh, it looks like he killed your son. Uh, I assume you want him arrested. Absolutely, I want him arrested. Now, he owes that man the value of his son, even if his son is a fetus. And yes, the, the money given to the man, but the man supposedly loves the wife and the wife loves the husband and, you know, happy wife, happy life. <laughs> so, it all works out if you work together in love. But 
it's interesting to point out, if you kill a fetus, you're responsible for a life. You need to be punished. According to the laws of Moses. But you don't live by the laws of Moses, so you can't apply that to abortion clinics. In principle, God may apply it, but you can't apply it. And going back to those laws about, you know, having uh, uh, your master give you a wife and you have children. When you go out, you can't necessarily take the wife unless you've made prearrangements. Unless you had the wife before you became a servant to your master. So when you take a wife from your master, you say, but when I go out, I want to go out with my wife. And he may say, okay. He may say, well, you work an extra year because she's supposed to work here three years. And, you know, whatever. You know, there's all kinds of things. But they know how it works. So they know how to negotiate a deal. They can make an agreement. It's the government. It's micro. When the government is macro, all you guys who went out and got a marriage license, you're in a three-party contract with the state, and now the state can dissolve your marriage and give your wife half of everything you have, even if you've only been married a year. (laughs) Well, it varies in different states, but yeah, that can kind of whittle down on a guy. But, you know, there's a way to protect yourself against all this. A way to learn the wisdom of God without having to learn all the details of the law. And that is to learn to listen to the still small voice. But if you can't see the basic things that he's laying out. Again, these are not statutes. These are precedents. Now, what I say by precedents, when you used to go into court, you had a dispute against this guy over property, over damage. You know, he drove into your garage and he smashed up your garage or whatever. We had a guy drive into our garage one time and he drove in, garage door was open, he drove into the garage and we had swing sets hanging from the ceiling of the garage. My dad knew about them, but this guy drove into our garage and he ran into the swing sets and we heard this crashing and banging and all of a sudden we heard this cussing and swearing and and the guy come just walking into our house, we were all sitting at the dinner table, my dad wasn't home yet. And he's cussing and swearing and everything. I was a little tiny kid. I can kind of remember him. I don't remember all the things he said, but I guess it was some pretty bad words in there. We didn't know him from the man of the moon. He didn't live there. He didn't know us. And the look on his face when all of a sudden he saw this other family and he's in this other house. We lived in a subdivision. This is in Houston, Texas. There are a lot of houses that look the same. And he thought he was driving into his driveway, into his garage. And he couldn't figure out who put those swings in there. What is all that stuff? He got all the way through the utility room and into the kitchen. And all of a sudden he realized, I'm in the wrong house. <laughs> he was on the wrong street. He was evidently drunk. As my mom told me the story later. Because I didn't, I didn't know he was drunk. But she could smell the alcohol. And he just drove into our house. But, okay, if he had done damage, uh, we we could have taken him to court. We would have called the police. And the police would say, yeah, he drove in here. That, yeah, there was his car. He smashed up this stuff. Uh, yeah, this is trespass. Uh, uh, you know, maybe he ran over a you know, $100 bike. Well, now he owes us our $100 bike. And uh, the... 
cop could say, well, do you want to press charges? Because that's a criminal offense if it was, you know, expensive enough. And uh, we would have to, you know, file charges. They'd give us a piece of paper. We'd fill out. Yeah, this guy trespassed against us, did $100 worth of damage, and we want him to pay for it. And they could take him to court and... Uh, and the court would say, yeah, you did this, the witness is here. And uh, so now it used to be, you have to go back a little farther than when I was a kid. The courts would say, yeah, you owe them a hundred bucks. And because you did this damage, you owe them 200 bucks because you, you trespassed and did this damage. If he did the damage on purpose, he'd owe them 500 bucks. <laughs> Which Moses gets to also, but uh, this is this is how the law works, and you have to understand that if you're ever going to be deciding fact and law. So now we're into uh, verse twenty-three, twenty-four, twenty-five. Ceiling limits is the heading that I have in there. If any mischief follow, then thou shalt give life for life. And we, we should look at that word mischief, but we won't do it right now because I know we're running way over time. We have the three hours for the show, but if any mischief follow, then thou shalt give life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burning for burning, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. And if a man smite the eye of his servant, we're going into 26 here, or the eye of his maid, that it perish, he shall let him go free for his eyes' sake. Now, what I'm going to be cuts off just a finger. You know, like, you know, he does something reckless and cuts off the finger of his servant. Well, a finger's not as valuable as an eye, but he still owes him finger for finger. Does that mean that the servant now gets to cut the master's finger off? <laughs> Well, I don't know how that's going to go over very good with anybody. But you remember back there when the firstborn of your donkeys, you could redeem for a sheep? You didn't have to give that over to the living stones of the altar to feed the welfare system. You could give them a sheep and that would suffice and that would be accepted. And, uh, you know, who's keeping track? But anyway, the, the fact is, is that, that was a way in which to fund the welfare system of a society so that everybody wanted to be a part of that welfare system. In order to be a part of that welfare system, you had to pay a tax. Did you know that? There was an actual tax in Israel. It was every year you had to pay the tax. It was a half dime. That's what you owed. A half dime of silver. For your whole family. Half dime of silver for your whole family. And you were, you, you had a place at the table. But that, and those tables set you free. Those tables kept you alive in hard times. Those tables are how you shared the meat of your society. And the milk of your society. With the needy of your society. Took care of the widows and orphans. Through those altars of clay and altars of stone. That's how you did it. So, if you cut off the finger of your servant, 
you owed some sort of recompense. Who's going to decide? Well, you could decide, and the servant could say, well, I'll be satisfied with that, you know. Maybe take a year off. He owes six more years and he's lost a finger already. <laughs> you know, if he lost a hand, that's as much as an eye. Did Moses need to write, if you smite him and he lose a hand? You know, if you, I mean, remember To Kill a Mockingbird? Where the guy, when he was a boy, he fell into a cotton gin, tore all the muscles loose on his arm. Now, I don't know if he was supposed to be a slave at that time. He might have been. No, probably not. Because this was in the 20s, I think, when that book was taking place, maybe even the 30s. So, And he wasn't old enough to have been a slave. But if he had been back a slave, of course, that's a different kind of That's not servitude. That's actual slavery. But that if we're following the precepts of Moses... And a boy fell into a cotton gym and he lost the use of his arm. He would go free. He would he would have to set him free. You know, because he's damaged him. That's what Moses is saying. Now we go back up to 23 and 24 and 25 where it says, Life for a life, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, hand for a hand, finger for a finger, foot for a foot. They just said all that. And so that doesn't mean that, oh, well, you can, no, you, you're responsible for the damage that you do. But I say that statement doesn't mean you get to poke out the eye of a guy who poked out your eye. It means the value of your eye, you know, you could do that, I suppose. You say, I tell you what, you give me 10 sheep or 20 sheep, you know, you knocked out my tooth. Okay, you owe me ten sheep. That's actually quite a bit for a tooth. Depends on which tooth, I suppose. <laughs> but the the point is, you know, you damage, you, you you took off my little finger because you were reckless. I had a guy almost cut off my finger once with Boy Scouts. Uh, he cut it to the bone and uh, nicked the bone. But uh, it didn't go all the way off. He could have if it was an axe, but he just had a pocket knife. But uh, you 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 do that damage, you owe the person. So what do you got to satisfy the debt? And if you can't come to an agreement, you can take it to the court, like Ruth and Boaz did. We take it to the elders, and they sit down, and you present your case, and you present a case, and they all come to some kind of agreement. Well, I don't think you owe them fifty sheep. You owe them ten sheep. Okay. He can he can afford that. What was the, there was a scene where oh Hobson's Choice, one of my favorite movies. Her negotiation at the wedding feast that uh, you'll pay it. You can afford to pay that, and you'll pay it. <laughs> you have to see the movie. But anyway, they work it out. They're the government. The people are the government. It's the government of the people, for the people, and by the people. Moses is just saying precedent. And again, to go back to precedent. In early America, what you did is you looked at past cases where other juries decided something in a similar case. I have hundreds of such cases behind me where you look up the case and it says, in such and such a case, in such and such a case, in Stanick versus White, it says this, and... and uh, and it's telling you what Moses is telling you. 
These aren't statutes. He's giving you case law. He's giving you examples. And we already showed you that some of these very things that he was saying were known way back in the days of Jacob. They were probably known way back before Abraham in the days of Cain and Seth and Abel. This is the law of nature and nature's God. And what these 23, 24, 25, they're ceiling limits. If, if somebody cuts off your finger, you can't kill them. If somebody causes you to lose a, a, an eye, you can't kill him and his whole family. If, if somebody burns down your garage, you can't take his house. If somebody spills coffee in your lap, you can't take all their possessions, their house, a hundred thousand dollars because somebody spilled coffee in your lap. Ridiculous. They spilled coffee in your lap. They owe you. They don't owe you a hundred thousand dollars. That's ridiculous. But people don't understand justice anymore. How can they attend to the weightier matters if they don't understand justice anymore? Loss of right to employ. If if a man smites an eye, so that's what I have is that heading. Because literally these servants were employees. They They were owned for a period of time by their masters. They weren't owned forever in most cases. They could be owned forever. But if they did something that caused them serious damage, they could go free. And they would appeal to the local congregational courts. They would go down to church and say, this guy smite me and now I can't see out of my right eye because he struck me across the head. Oh, she's going free. And not only is she going free... He may have to pay her. <laughs> She's lost an eye. That's serious. That's just, you're not just going to get your freedom because you can't just dump her out on the street. They can say all kinds of, like, you know, you've got a terrible temper and now you've overdone it. You're, you're going to pay the price. They'll hold them accountable. So now 28, 29, 30, liabilities for damages. If an ox gore a man or a woman and that they die, then the ox shall be surely stoned, and his flesh shall not be eaten, but the owner of the ox shall be quit. He's going to lose the ox. They might be able to give it to somebody else to be eaten, but they they can't. He can't profit from it, is what they're really saying. They have to kill the ox. We can look at that word stone. I can tell you this. You're going to stone an ox... That's a lot of work. Because you can throw a lot of rocks at an ox and you're not going to kill it. <laughs> and that's not the way they normally kill it. You, if they were going to eat an ox, they would slit his throat. And there's actual, they have, in one of those places, and I've seen the guys who do the Exodus stories and they're trying to show you where... They're finding Sinai and they find this one area and they talk about, well, here's altars of stone and they see these long uh, back and forth uh, lines of stone. Those are corrals. There's an actual chute where you can run the the bulls and cows down the chute. As they go down the chute, you can stop them there and slit their throat and butcher them out, which is pretty hard to do, just killing a cow. You're not supposed to kill these things with breaking a bone, such as stoning, 
if you're going to eat them. So, when they say, shall be surely stoned and the flesh shall not be eaten, we should look at that. And I may look at that and give you lots of notes on that because I don't believe that that's exactly right. But the the point is, you're going to suffer a loss if an ox gore a man or a woman and they die. But, if the ox were want to push with his horns in time past, and it hath been testified to his owner, and he hath not kept him in, but that he hath killed a man or a woman, the ox shall be stoned, and his owner also shall be put to death. Again, put to death. Put out? Removed from the altars? Because that's what it said way back at the beginning when they were talking about put to death. They are put to death. They are treated as if they are dead. They can no longer go to the altars. They're not going to get a share. When they were out there in the desert, they were sharing the meat that they had, the animals that they had with those who didn't have enough. And that was very essential for the survival of all and it created loyalty that the poor had tremendous loyalty to the wealthy. And the wealthy knew that they could be protected by the poor. It made them a, a, a viable force when the Amalekites came. They would stay there and defend those people who saved their life when hunger was upon them. Because they shared what they had. Now, if you do things recklessly and cause the death of other people, you'll be put out and treated as if you're dead and you will not receive a share. Now that seems simple, but there's some drawbacks to that. But uh, but Moses is laying out the best way he can where the people are going to have to learn to live by faith, hope, and charity. If there be laid on him a sum of money, then he shall give for a ransom of his life whatsoever is laid upon him. So he'll be put out as if he was dead and not be able to come to the altars anymore. But if he pays out a sum of money to try to cover the his life, what's his life worth, what's, what is his recompense worth, he may not be treated as dead. He'll still be a part of it because he, he's showing remorse that he's sorry these people died. But the ox has still got to go. You can't have an ox. Same with pit bulls. Same with dogs. If the dog is biting other people, you can't keep it. You have to put it down. Because you're endangering other people and you could be held responsible. If those... Rottweilers or pit bulls kill some child, you're a murderer. If you knew that that dog had a tendency to attack. We have that today. This comes from what Moses wrote. It actually comes from the natural law, but he's spelling out the natural law. Whether he gave, whether he have gored a son or have gored a daughter according to his judgment, shall it be done unto him. If he's caused the loss of that fetus. Cause the loss of a child. He is responsible for that life of the child. He has to pay that back somehow or he will be cast out. Now he may have, maybe he doesn't have a lot of money and so he's going to have, so now he's, he may have to make payments to pay back, take care of. You know, you cause the death of, I always remember Gandhi was fasting and and he was almost dead from his fasting, trying to stop the Muslims and Hindus from killing each other. And a Muslim came and said that uh, that uh, 
he wanted, he did not want Gandhi's life on his hands and he wanted Gandhi to eat that even if he meant he had to die. And he says, why should you die? And he says, well, my soul is already forfeited because I killed in his rage. He had lost his some of his family in these riots and he went and killed a Hindu boy. He he smashed his head against the wall and the boy died. The riots were bloody sometimes in India during these Muslim Hindu riots. And uh, sometimes they were regularly bloody. A lot of brutality, a lot of anger welling up in the people. But it was people not living by faith, hope, and charity. So there's liable to be a lot of anger that wells up. They will become perfect savages if you don't institute this system that Moses is setting up. But Gandhi says, no, you can be redeemed. And the guy says, how? I've killed an innocent child in his religion. Now he's condemned for killing an innocent child, even though it was a Hindu. He says, find an orphan whose parents were killed and adopt him, but raise him as a Hindu. So he had to find a boy. It didn't matter whether he was Muslim or Hindu. But he had to raise the boy as a Hindu, not as a Muslim. And then he would be redeemed. Now, what he's saying is that he had to forgive in order to be forgiven. That's what Jesus said. If you want to be forgiven, you have to forgive others. That's why, you know, if you if you have a brutal, mean, drunken father who beat you when he's old, you have to take care of him. You, you have to fatten. You have to honor your father and your mother. Why? So that your days will be long upon the land. I've explained that. But one of the mystical things about that, if you had a brutal father who was cruel to you, maybe he didn't know anything but cruelty because other people were cruel to him. And he never forgave them. So he became a cruel man himself or a mother. But now you forgive him and take care of him or take care of his wife, your mother. Forgiveness is there for you. You, The burden of your anger and judgment will be lifted off of you. If you want forgiveness, you have to forgive others. If you want to set yourself free, you must set others free. If you're going to set others free, you have to learn how to take care of one another through free will offerings instead of forced offerings. So, back to 32, And that ox shall push a manservant or a maidservant. He shall give unto their master 30 shekels of silver. That's a lot. And the ox shall be stoned. So, I don't know how much an ox would be even worth. It might be worth more than 30 shekels of silver. But uh, all these things have to be worked out because the situation, you know, it doesn't mean that, you know, an ox, you know, I've been butted around by a cow and nobody gave me 30 shekels of silver. But uh, this this same law could be applied to prosecutors today who prosecute somebody they knew was innocent, withheld evidence, and still sent them to jail, which is the ox pushing them. (laughs) They went to jail. They might go to jail for 10 years or 20 years. Or maybe like the... uh, January 6th guys who've been in jail and they withheld discovery. They withheld evidence that should have been made available for their trial. All those trials will probably be counted as mistrials. 
the guys who pleaded guilty, uh, they're, they're, they may have a case, but not as strong a case. Don't plead guilty if you're not guilty. But uh, they can they can charge them with wrongful prosecution if they withheld evidence, because that was doing damage if they withheld evidence. Had they known that evidence was available somewhere, they might not have pleaded guilty because all those plea bargains are based on the idea that if you plead to this lesser crime, we won't charge you for this greater crime. This greater crime, you might get five years in jail. This lesser crime, you might get five months in jail. So you get to plead for this lesser crime. And I'm sure people did that. But it, the same principles that we're talking about here with these oxes of sh- and shekels of silver are counting the same. So, anyway, now we're down to how many more? we got 33 to 36. That's not very many more. Law about restitution. And this is really what it's all about. And if a man shall open up a pit, or if a man shall dig a pit, or not cover it, and an ox or an ass fall therein, the owner of the pit shall make it good and give money unto the owner of them, and the dead beast shall be his. My, I told you I had those two calves fall into a pit that somebody died. <laughs> they didn't die. We got them out. I almost died trying to get them out. <laughs> but uh, uh, they didn't die, and I prefer them not dead than get the money from them. But the reality is that the same place that the neighbors... One of the people who lived in that property had her sheep down there. And they let their dogs chase our sheep, their dog. They had one dog. And the dog didn't bite them. So we never found a sheep that was bitten. We found two sheep, I think at least two sheep, that were drowned in the creek. And we thought, like, how in the heck did a sheep drown in the creek? Well, somebody finally, the second one, they found out what was going on. The dog would jump on the sheep and hold the lamb it was lambs. They hold them down in the creek until it stopped struggling. So they were, it was literally jump on them, knocking them down and holding them down until they drowned. So there were no teeth marks. We couldn't figure out why in the world was the sheep drowning. <laughs> and somebody spotted it. And he came and he paid me the money for the sheep. I don't think he paid me twice the money. <laughs> Which is what Moses eventually says. And, uh, if the if one man's ox hurt another's that he died, then they shall sell the live ox and divide the money of it. Because oxes will, oxes not so much, but bulls will, and some of these may be bulls. And the dead ox also they shall divide, so they can save the meat and divide that. But they they just break even, kind of. You know, the guy who had the you're not going to be having the toughest bull in town and making out on the deal. <laughs> or if uh, it be known that the ox hath used a push in time past and the owner hath not kept him in, he shall surely pay ox for ox and the dead shall be his own. So again, foreknowledge of the danger of something, and this is going to play out with when we get into all, I mean, there's 600 or whatever it is, 316 or whatever, uh, of these deals, you know, like if you have balconies and all that stuff. But try to translate these things into your daily life and into how your daily life operates and works. So we got all the way through 21. 
today and we did a review of 19 and 20 and, and eventually I hope to create a page that goes through each of the what they are missing that may be what we call it in this uh, Exodus episodes that are being produced by the Daily Wire and Jordan Peterson because so much that they're actually very close and they have a lot of things correct but not close enough you know, it's like jumping across the Grand Canyon. Close don't count, except in horseshoes. <laughs> it don't it don't count when you're crossing a, a a chasm. So you want to make sure that you understand everything. So I gave you a little insight that what he's he's not making laws that you have to strictly abide by, like getting the yeast out of your house or sewing the breeches for your ministers or all this stuff or having separate cook pots for your milk and cheeses and for your meat and all that stuff. That never existed. You know, I talked a little bit about that before. I hope to make a whole page that shows you. And that's what we're doing is putting together a lot of these pages where people unmoor the metaphor from its meaning. And then they're able to steer the ship of state away from liberty and into bondage. Because that's what's happened. If you leave L.A. Harbor and you are three degrees off of hitting Japan, you will likely, I think you can actually miss Japan, India, Malaysia, Australia, and Africa. If you can ever see land. (laughs) I think... I calculated that out once. I think it's the L.A. Harbor. Uh, If you're just three degrees off, you can end up never seeing land and go all the way around the world. But uh, almost all the way around the world. You'll probably end up in Antarctica or something before you get past South America. But uh, just uh, you don't want to be any, you don't want to miss the mark. And any sin moves you farther and farther away from the mark. So understanding what the Ten Commandments is really all about, the Ten Statements, again, statements, that's what they are, they're not laws, they're statements about the natural law that is already built into the place. If you think your judicial system is about punishing the wicked, you need to change your mindset. It's about protecting the innocent. The way it is in America today, they are not protecting the innocent. They're, now they're actually rewarding the guilty. <laughs> and uh, I, I just think about some of those guys who went into January 6th. Uh, you know, one guy, the, the Buffalo guy, was he serving 40 some weeks, 40 some months, almost four years. If he gets a good lawyer, he'll probably come out a millionaire. <laughs> Withholding evidence, put him in jail. He's going to get another trial. But we have a lot worse things to worry about. Not that I think that's really important to him. And so therefore it's important to me. But uh, we need to rethink our whole approach to the Bible. Whole approach to the Ten Statements. Whole approach to the Statutes of Moses. Start putting these things together. Because you're going to need to understand that. In order to be a part of the free society that will eventually survive after the Holocaust that is coming. Uh, don't be a fear, fear not, though. God is with us. So I see no hands right being raised. 
So I will say, because I, you can hear me losing my voice already, peace on your house, and may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.